0: We must learn to fight well for ourselves first. Then we can confidently support and cheer on our loved ones in the best ways. Good morning and welcome. Welcome to our Stay by the Tree Messages of Hope here at Mothers Who Know, sponsored by Life Changing Services. We're so glad that you're here and so grateful that you've taken your time to be here. We know that's not an easy thing to do for women who have lots of stewardships especially in the morning. We have lots of things we're doing and so thanks for your effort to be here. I'm Karen Broadhead. I'm the director of Mothers Who Know and before we get started as people are arriving I just want to with this special welcome tell you that you're in for a treat today. The director of our sponsor life changing services is going to present to us today and we're so grateful for his love and support that he extends to all of us as we serve and care for each other here at Mothers You Know i want to quickly tell you that Mothers You Know has a has a motto and a theme and our motto is stay by the tree and Of course, that refers to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the power we have through his atonement, but it's a reminder, like a kind of a battle cry for us women, stay by the tree, and we are learning how to manage our emotions and our thoughts as we learn how to follow him and stay by the tree, so we have so much more support in our stewardships as we are able to hear the Spirit and feel more confident in His enabling power. Our theme is found in 2 Timothy, and it is, yeah, chapter 1, verse 7. And it talks about the Spirit God gave us and is a reminder to us that He instilled wonderful things in us and that even though we often go to fear... When we are in new places, hard places, continuing places that kind of can make us weary, we are reminded by this theme in Mothers You Know that we can, yeah, we can shift that. We can use our agency and do something different. And so our theme is God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we are just really grateful for that. So grateful for you and the spirit God gave you, and that you brought it here this morning. I'm going to turn the time over to b j She is has our announcements today. She'll be assisting in our meeting, and just thank Maurice for being here thank you b j
1: Thank you, Karen. Yeah, this is the the last of our three part webinar series. Stay by the tree webinar series so we're we're kind of sad to have today come but we're really excited to have Maurice here. Maurice is the founder and director of Life Changing Services. So today where our message of hope is going to be by Maurice Harker and he's going to be talking about the antidote is giving connection and we've heard him talk about this a little bit in other places and other classes that he supports and groups that he supports here at Mothers Who Know and just really thrilled to hear a little bit more about that. Just to, wanted to share a little bit about Maurice. We know a lot of people come that haven't met Maurice or know about him. And, and even if you have been here, you'll find some, some new things. So Maurice is the founder and director of the Sons of Helaman program. It's a sexual self-mastery training program. And it started in 2005. And the Sons of Helaman program has helped thousands of young men recover from pornography addiction and other sexual self-mastery. Issues. He is the founder of the Menomoroni program as well. It's the men's equivalent to Sons of Helaman, also the Wars Group. They serve women in betrayal trauma and also the Eternal Warriors Training. And that's a prevention and self mastery training. Mari specializes in providing services with interventions that accurately synchronize effective psychological science with eternal principles. And he's most known and sought after for the work that he does with individuals and couples who have been traumatized by sexual misbehavior. Maurice is also the author of Like Dragons, Did They Fight? Lots of us are really familiar with that book. It's a synergy of eternal principles and accurate science for personal self-mastery. He also is the author of I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay, and That's Okay. It's a book on healing and building healthy relationships. And he's also the author of And the Man Knew His Wife. And that's a book designed to help couples improve the quality of their marital intimacy. He also co-authored the book Never a Happier Time. And you can actually find the free ebook downloads of these books at the bottom of the main page on lifechangingservices.org. So neat that they offer those. So Maurice acquired his bachelor's and master's degrees From University of Utah. And for over 17 years, Maurice provided specialized services as a clinical mental health counselor. The first seven years were with LDS Family Services, and then in 2005 is when he opened Life Changing Services. He's now shifted his focus to primarily functioning as the director of Life Changing Services and providing group trainings and workshops in self-mastery and marriage repair as well as occasionally offering advanced consultations by special request. So you can go to lifechangingservices.org, find out a little bit more about that. But Maurice, we just welcome you. You're just among friends here, and we're just grateful for what you've done. This is a picture of Maurice's family. He and his wife have been married for 30 years and have two children. So with that, Karen, is there anything you wanted to add before we Hand it over to Maurice. Oh,
0: just a big cheer and a thank you, Maurice. We're so glad you're here and so grateful for you ladies that have come this morning, you're in for a treat. Maurice, thank you.
2: Okay. Now I feel like I'm important or something. So thank you for all those kind words, et cetera, et cetera. Today, we're going to be talking about a important quote that is found in the profession. Let's be careful with the way we use this because I really want to make this a value to you and your loved ones, but the most effective way to make it a valuable to your loved ones is to make it a value to you, okay? So your tendency as a loving mother, grandmother, or whoever you're loving on all the time is to be very attentive to the needs of others. Thank you for that. I'm going to ask you to be a little bit selfish today. I'm going to ask you to be like, the. I'm going to be the steward in the airplane that says when the mask comes down, put one on your own face first before you try to serve the others so that we can make sure the principles are effective for you first. I'll explain more why the closer we get to the end, if I can remember to follow through on that. Our theme today is the opposite of addiction is connection. This is a regularly misunderstood phrase, and that's why I wanted to focus on it. But I want to break the statement down a little bit right from the start. Let's first take the word addiction. I met a new couple, probably similar, close to my own age, who've been through some really rough stuff. Some dynamics that have put their marriage pretty close to dead, if not already dead, and One of the perspectives of the wife is the importance of making sure her husband acknowledges and admits that he has an addiction. When I finally had a chance to meet with the husband, we had a good conversation, got the ball rolling and set the stage for some future work. And he said, my wife's really hung up on this word addiction. And I'm all okay. We can, we can spend all day long. He's in the medical profession. So we both know that the concept of addiction is a argumentable concept. And so I says, let's set that word aside and ask the question, do you have a pattern of behavior that is against your value system, but it keeps reoccurring? And he's like, well, yeah, that's easy to say yes to. I'm like, okay. So do you have a pattern of misbehavior, a pattern of behavior that is contrary to your value system that keeps reoccurring, notwithstanding how smart you are, Notwithstanding how disciplined you are, notwithstanding how dedicated you are to being good, and so I invite you to be careful with this because I, I remember now that with 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 women Satan tends to torment you with your weaknesses, so please do not think of something that Satan tends to torment you over, but something that you sincerely feel this is a reoccurring lack of behavior meaning. I keep committing to go to the gym and I don't. I keep committing myself to reading this one thing, but I don't. If you have a reoccurring pattern of behavior that you want to implement, but you don't, or if you have a reoccurring pattern of behavior that is against, the most common one we see is moms who lose it a little bit on their kids out of their value system. I was talking to a woman just yesterday who said, yes, I said things to my husband that are outside my value system in a state of pain fear. And so there are many circumstances when we behave contrary to our value system. So if you would, please, if you're feeling courageous and you want the best of this visit, please write down in your notebook your one thing. That one thing that you, now this is agonizing, okay? That one thing that you have wanted to get started on and get consistent with, or that one thing that you have always wanted to stop doing, but have not been able to do so. Make sure you put this in a place where others can't find it. Okay. This is not for public consumption. And it really doesn't matter to me what it is, because what we're going to walk you through today is going to help you understand because... When you're trying to explain to a loved one what they need to do in order to get their behavior in line with their value system, the most effective way to do that is to talk them through how you are currently doing the same thing. I've found that it doesn't help if you're explaining to someone how you overcame a self mastery issue 20 years ago. And the other person says, So the last time you really fought for self mastery was 20 years ago. Well, yeah, I haven't had anything important to work on since then. Okay. Is it true that you have not had anything important to work on for 20 years, for 10 years? It is my assumption that all of us have something to work on. And as I've worked on those who are the sinners, as I work with those who are the ones who are sent in for treatment. The first person they kick out of their circle of influence is the person who starts to work on them as if they are a car on a hoist and the other person's a mechanic and we're here to fix you. You can sneak up on them and say, I found some new tools that are good for all of us. Let's use them on you. I found another neat tool that's good for all of us. Let's use them on you. Okay. Some of you have husbands who need to be fixed. Some of you have sons or daughters that need to be fixed or daughters-in-law that need to be fixed. Okay. Thank you for caring about their well-being for today. Please concentrate on that one thing that needs to be fixed in you. Okay. All right. I'm going to do a very brief. We have other classes where we talk about why do smart people do stupid things? But before we can talk about connection being a solution, I want to talk for a minute about how the disconnect happens. This was a mystery to me from the very beginning where I couldn't understand why a smart, dedicated, committed person could initiate a path of behavior that is intended to be good, but I end up doing the opposite of what I plan to. Okay, I end up not following through on my plan. May I assume that that might be happening to one or two of you where you make a plan and then you don't follow through on the plan and you're going, I don't understand why that didn't happen. I am frustrated with my own profession because frequently we we want to get to the point where when we formulate something in our value system that we can create a connection between that and the achievement of the task. So that seems so logical and it seems so simple. So what is disrupting it, okay? Oh, I was just explaining why I was disappointed with my profession is because they really struggle with and almost refuse to discuss the spiritual side of the psychological experience. Now, if you look at the word psychology, Psych actually means spirit and ology means study of. My profession is supposed to be the study of the spirit, although that is overlooked substantially. Okay. So let us remember that we all believe in something called the Holy Ghost who attempts to influence our minds and tries to share thoughts and feelings with us. We have the option of listening or not listening. We have the option of taking it seriously or not taking it seriously. Our doctrine tells us that there is a dark entity, Satan and his minions. President Nelson often refers to as the adversary also has the ability to float ideas into your mind and you have the option of ignoring them or not ignoring them. The problem is the Holy Ghost is not willing to be manipulative. The Holy Ghost is not willing to cheat the system. But Satan is willing to manipulate and is willing to cheat the system. So I'm going to share with you, I'm going to put the link to it in the chat so you can look at it more in your own free time. But I'm going to share with you a video that someone else put together that describes this process. We're going to go through it pretty quickly because I don't want to spend a lot of time on it but I wanted you to have a visual representation of what goes wrong in the brain when we behave contrary to our value system, okay? You see a diagram of the brain in the middle. Quick reference, in the front of the brain is your frontal lobe where you hold your value system. When you commit to going to the gym every morning at a certain time, this takes place in your frontal lobe, okay? And you really anchor yourself into it as much as you can. All right. The other part of your brain that is involved in the process of tilting towards misbehavior is your animal brain. In the context of today's conversation, if Satan allows you to stay connected to your frontal lobe, then you will follow through. And so, after studying the science of how to disconnect someone from their frontal lobe and move them into their animal brain, so they make like an animal based decision, a common one is. I woke up in the morning and I was too tired to go to the gym. I didn't feel like it. I checked with my body and my body and my brain both said, I want to stay in bed. My bed is nicer than the gym. I want to stay in bed and not go to the gym. It's not a complicated thing. But I want you to understand the reason I'm spending time on this is this is the exact same process the brain goes through in the addictive cycle. The more you understand this, the more relatable You're going to be to the people you work with. So when you say to them, I understand what it feels like to disconnect from your frontal lobe because I experience it under these circumstances. I understand what it's like to disconnect from the things that matter to you because I go through it. If you say to them, what were you thinking? That automatically assumes you don't know what it feels like. You don't know what it's like. So now you're creating a disconnect between you and your loved one. Okay, so we're trying to retain these connections so that we can through a unfortunate satanic attack and retain connection with our frontal lobe and with our loved ones. So I'm just going to walk through this really fast. I'm not going to play it at real time. This is a really neat video to watch. Let me quickly grab the share. Copy, link, chat. Look at this technology. How cool is this? Paste. There. Now, all y'all can look at it at your own free time Okay? Basically, you can read about the satanic spin. This is a complex psychological process that Satan initiates to trigger chemical reactions in the brain, which eventually flood over the frontal lobe, causing chemical reactions to disconnect us from the frontal lobe and then lead us to the forget it moment, where we just don't care anymore. Okay. There, there you go. There's my super fast demonstration on that. Okay. So the opposite of addiction is connection. There's more than one. So, so the, the tendency of our culture is to interpret that phrase as if you meet someone who has an addiction, if you meet someone who has a pattern of misbehavior, The most important thing you can do is give them the sense of connection. You have to give them a feeling. A popular way of phrasing is you have to make them feel loved or help them feel loved. I've been watching human reaction to such things for a very long time. And what I've seen is if it's approached from that direction, it does not work. Many of you know people who you've strived, strived or striven one or the other to provide them with love and help them feel loved and they just won't receive it. I give you love, they throw it in the garbage can. I am generous with you, they throw that in the garbage can. Even Christ could not make sure the people of his time felt loved. He showed up, he was doing miracles, he was being loving, he was being kind. Was there anything Christ did during his lifetime that would not have made what we consider a normal person feel loved. But some people reacted to his loving gestures with the idea that we should hang you on a cross and kill you. That's how we respond to you feeling trying to help us feel loved. Some of you mothers feel the same way about others. You have tried to help them and you can see it in their eyes. All I want to do is hang you on a cross until you die. And you're like, thank you. Thank you for that. So please, modern science will imply that the person thinks that way or if the person feels that way, it's because you didn't love them enough. Please throw that concept in the garbage. If the amount of love that Christ gave the people of his time led to a high percentage of the people wanting to kill him or get him out of the way. There's no way you're going to give more love to your people than Christ gave to his people. You cannot measure your success as a loved one by how the other people respond. This is vital. If you are going to be Christ-like, if you're going to think like Christ and feel like Christ, you must understand That no matter what you do, a large percentage of those who listen to you are going to hate you and want to get rid of you. Another percentage aren't going to care at all, and they're just going to walk away and have no interest in you at all. And a small percentage is going to take you seriously. I join you in grieving as Christ and the Father did because of this lack of control. Because you will have people not like you, no matter how hard you try. And so the only thing that's going to help these people who are fighting or might be fighting is they are going to have to comprehend the concept of the opposite of addiction is to create connection. The opposite of addiction is to give connection, not to receive it. It's one of the most important pieces I look for in the psychology of a person fighting for self-mastery. Are they proactively, intentionally striving to build connection in four areas of their lives? Hidden in the gospel library in the children's section in the children youth booklet that replaced the a progression system that used to take place with all the checklists, we're going to strive to create connection in four areas. Usually when we talk about connection, the idea is connecting one person to another. To simplify our, our stewardship, our approach to life, it has been encouraged that we do social, intellectual, physical, and spiritual work. Now, I wanna clarify something really fast about What we mean by connection in each area. The social one is the easy one. Okay. This is one we're all very familiar with where we pick a person, we pick someone and we strive to create a connection with them. We connect with another person. If a person wants to an addiction or overcome a pattern of behavior that is contrary to their value system. What we want you to do is we want you to set a specific goal of a moment of connection in the relevant area. Okay. So when it comes to social it's picking, I am going to pick this person with this activity, and then I'm going to try to find a time and a place to have that connected moment. Now, bear with me, ladies, because most of you, this is third grade automatic thinking for you. Most women have a almost inborn process for seeking and creating connection. If I were to ask you, if I was to name one person in your life, you would quickly be able to go, okay, the next best type of connection to have with that person would be this activity. I don't even have to think about it much. I already know what it would be. And I would need to arrange for a time of day and a location to create a moment of connection with them. Think of one of your sisters, think of your mother, think of a friend. If it's been a while since you've connected, what would be, if you if you spent 60 seconds pondering, how could I create a moment of connection with this person? It wouldn't take much for you to formulate an idea and then be able to put it down on paper, okay? When it comes to, let's connect this to the the physical. Physical connection, connecting to your physical, okay? Now, this is a very important way to approach this because instead of going, I need to go on a diet or I need to get to the gym, okay? I encourage you to ponder, what is a connecting experience I can have so that I can be connected to my body and feel like we are friends and feel like we are moving forward? Do we need to go for a workout together? Do we need to eat healthy together? Do we need to do some yoga together and just be together as a body? Do we need to go for a hike together? What can I do to be connected? Do I need to look in the mirror and say, you are a beautiful daughter of God. You have a body that was designed to bear children and have, have its amount of beauty for this phase of life and just enjoy who you are. So you have to get creative and discover different ways to connect physically with yourself. Intellectual is one that I have, oh, I wanted to say something about the physical one. I was uh, pondering a version of this the other day when I was infrequently getting to my, my exercise machine and I found myself for the first 20, 10 minutes thinking about my other responsibilities while I was working out. And then I don't know if you've ever had this experience where all of a sudden your body says, if you don't pay more attention to me, we're not going to be able to finish this workout. It's time for you to shut off your brain and focus on your muscles and your breathing and your brain chemistry and get engaged in this workout. And it's almost like a little child pulling at my leg saying, pick me up, pick me up. Can we have a moment of connection? So my body's all, working. to have a, we need to have a moment of connection right now during this workout. And I realized that is one of the most satisfying moments in the workout is when it becomes that moment where it's just you and the body. If you're on a treadmill, if you're on a hike, if you reach that point where there is no more thinking space, it is time to pay attention to your breathing and your muscles and nothing else is happening. That is a neat way to connect with your body. Okay. Intellectual. Let's talk about connections in the intellectual world. Okay. Intellectual connection. I was sitting there one day trying to understand revelation. I was trying to understand personal revelation, especially when it came to science and stuff like that. And and I'm sitting there in class. And the well, I wasn't even in class. I was in the library. I still remember sitting in the, the Marriott Library at the U studying something in. And I had just gone through a series of micro-asha moments. It's like, oh, that's so cool how this is connected to that idea. Oh, that's so cool how this is connected to that idea. During that time, I was memorizing a lot of scriptures at the same time I was going to school and I was listening to a lot of conference talk. I wasn't married yet, so I had plenty of time to fill my mind with, with other things. And the connections between what this prophet said and this textbook said and this and this said. And the revelation I got is, Maurice, okay, you understand neurons. Neurons are these little rope-type looking things, string-type things. He says, if you have two ropes laying next to each other in your garage, just laying on the ground next to each other, what are the chances they're going to become tied together if you don't help them? Well, that's silly. They're just going to lay there. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to have any connection there. He's all, I know. So. It takes an advanced intelligence to enter this space and take the two ropes and create a connection between them, right? I'm all, yeah. He's all, well, guess what, Harker? Your neurons are just laying there next to each other until I, the advanced intelligence, come in and create connection. So every time you experience connection in your intellect, You're having a spiritual experience. Every time your brain goes, oh, I get it. There is now a connection between two organic things, neurons, that did not exist before. And it takes a divine power to create those connections. Because one person over here will see the two ideas. I just listened to this conference talk. I just read this textbook. I don't see the connection. The New Testament tells us those who have eyes to see will see, those have ears to hear will hear, which implies that some people aren't going to make the connections. This is where the Holy Ghost becomes so valuable is because it helps us create connections. So when you're seeking to overcome a a, a issue a, I want to do reading more. So I invite you, instead of just going, I want to overcome this pattern of not doing the reading, it's, I'm going to do the opposite of disconnection, and I'm going to read until I make a connection. I'm going to restudy until I've received a connection. Okay, I'm going to work out until I'm connected to my body. I'm going to interact with this person until we're connected, until we have a moment of connection. Okay, and now let's switch over to the fourth one. As a missionary, spiritual connection. I was raised by good parents, goodly parents from Southeast Idaho. Good, decent mom, good, decent dad. And I was taught all the ways, all the traditions of our fathers. And I landed myself in inner city Detroit with a, what I would call an academic testimony. Meaning I was familiar with the literature, I was familiar with the stories, but if someone was to ask me, how is your connection with God, if I was to maintain integrity, I would have to say, I I got nothing. I assume he's there. I have reason to believe he's there. I'm here on a mission because I have that belief, but the people of inner city Detroit and the surrounding cities weren't so easily convinced that that was a, something worth changing their lifestyle for. And I started to get nervous. I met someone who was anti-Mormon indirectly and, and got some pressure from that direction I'm all, it's, I've been here probably eight months now. I probably should figure out what's really going on. And so I had to set aside the word prayer because where I come from, prayer is something people do over a podium and they mumble something that may or may not have any value in it. They mix in a few these, thys, and thous, and then they sit down and that's all you got. And it may or may not be of any value. I started changing the approach to prayer. Karen talked about this a little bit last night at the Eternal Warriors 3.0 class about writing letters to God. I thought at the time about like In what setting do I become more connected to my own thoughts and to another person? And I thought, I'm just going to try this. And I sat down and I wrote, dear God, at the top of um, a piece of paper. Well, it was my journal because my journal's entries were getting boring. Same thing over and over again, because you don't do much diversity in that type of mission. And I just started writing a letter. And my question was, how does this work? How does this work? How does this connection work? I hear rumors of people who have a dialogue with you. I've heard stories of people who get revelations. I got Lehi's dream over here where he gets a whole vision. I got the brother of Jared's story over here. I got Moses up in the mountain who has a visit that involves uh, rocks on the side of of a mountain. I got all these demos. I got the still small voice. I got the David O. McKay story over here where it took a long time, et cetera, et cetera. And so my question became, how does this work between me and you? How does this work? In retrospect, my first revelations included things like, keep searching, keep learning. What are you willing to trade for it? What are you willing to trade for it? I'm, what do you mean? What am I willing to trade for it? Like, what are you talking about? What am I willing to trade for it? Over the next few months, the sensation of connection, the desire to be well connected to God, I kept searching. And he's. what are you willing to trade? He, he kept explaining or hinting at, you do know that the level of connection you're asking for comes with a price of responsibility. I'm, I don't know what you mean by that. I'm, I'm, I'm not a wimp. I don't, I'm not afraid of hard work. I'm not afraid to do hard things. He's all, I don't think you understand. And then he walked me through again, the new Testament where each one of the apostles was killed as he was trying to fulfill their stewardship. And he's all, are you willing to go through this kind of pain? If I give you the type of connection that sometimes is referred to as a testimony in our culture, Are you willing to breach? Are you willing to expose yourself to some very big challenges if I give you that level of connection? And I had the blessing of naivety and ambition. Okay. The glorious thing that some of us don't have anymore, but then they sneak in that verse, be like unto a child, which I think includes naivety and ambition. I think I can join the God's Battalion and be one of the few sons of human that come back with no injuries. Oh wait, let's read that more closely. They all came back with injuries. They were all hurt during the battles, and so the process of striving for that connection is was was a different amount of work but it has become a glorious work. And so if I'm working with someone who takes their spirituality seriously, I don't ask them if they pray. I ask them, what is your method for connecting with God? What is your method for creating and sustaining that connection? So I invite you to look at your rituals. We call them the power rituals, prayer, writing, and reading. Does your prayer, writing, and and ritual actually create connection? When you're done, are you plugged in? Do you feel plugged in? Do you feel connected? Okay. So let's combine a few principles now. We have this magician, otherwise known as a prophet, who gives us some powerful concepts. Let's take the diagram we're just looking at. And add some other diagrams to it. You will find in your pattern for growth system this thing that we now call the DPAR discover, plan, act, reflect. If you want to learn how to build connection in the four quadrants, I invite you in your prayer, writing, and reading ritual to pick one of the four. Okay. And then do some reflecting first. So let's go to social for a second. If you would please in your notebook, write the word social down and then put the word reflect underneath it, and then just take a second. And with a small mini prayer, father, be with me while I do this. Access divine power and just ponder for 15 to 20 seconds on who could use some connection. Who, not you, not who do you need to connect. Who do you know that could use some connection? Who do you know that needs a moment of upliftingness? Reflect on that for a second. Most of you will have someone come to mind within the first 20 seconds. Don't worry, It's not meet the be command in all things. You are allowed to just guess, okay, that's good enough. Now take another 15 seconds and try to discover what type of activity would be connecting with that person. Try to be a little out of the box thinking, we've got the normal ways, we've got the not normal ways. Let's remember that Moses got the idea, well, let's part the Red Sea. That's a way to solve this problem. Of course, that's just an idea that pops right into my head. How about the brother of Jared? He gets the idea of having some stones lit up. Now that you have a person and you have discovered an idea of something that could be followed through on, now start to formulate a plan. When and where would it be a good idea to follow through on that? Now, let me give you a very simple example of how this could be done. Let's say I remember that my, my son, who we haven't talked for a while is the name who came to mind. And as I'm seeking to discover, I start by looking for something big, but then I remember by small things are great things brought to pass. So the idea occurs to me that. I remember that one day when he did that one thing, it was so cool and so neat. And I was so proud of him when he got that little ribbon award for winning the 100 yard dash in the second grade end of school year carnival. Okay. I just remember it. And so I make a plan to open up my phone, type up a text message, son. I was just sitting here thinking about you and how neat it was that one day when you Ran the 100 yard dash in second grade and got that blue ribbon. I just can't help, but smile and think about how proud I am of you send. Now that's a weird thing to send somebody. Isn't it like how bizarre he's going to write back and say, what do you want? Mom, what, what, what's your point? What are you trying to teach me? Okay. What's, what's your lesson? <laughs> nothing. I just wanted to connect with you. You're weird, mom. Okay. Love you. See you later. Okay. Now, what's he going to be thinking for the next hour or two? Why would my mom send me a message about what happened in second grade? What is her point? The more he ponders it, the only thing he's going to find left is maybe she just wanted to remember a happy moment we had back then. That's cool. All right. Whatever. So that's an example of walking through the social version of Connecting. Okay. Now, here's the neat thing. Look at your thing that you're trying to not do or to start doing. Imagine replacing an action plan in the very moment that you don't usually do what you're planning to, or the moment of time where that's usually when I break open my carton of ice cream and I start eating ice cream against my value system. Instead of doing that, I'm going to plan to formulate and send this text message to my son at the very moment when I would have been opening up a bucket of ice cream, I'm going to create connection instead of behaving in a way that might be classified as an addiction. Okay. How about intellectual? Right now we've met people who read books, study books, et cetera, et cetera but they're still not making any connections. This is aggravating and agonizing in my professional position where I'll have someone read the Like Dragons Do They Fight book and they say, I couldn't find any connection in that book to my situation. I'm all, why? And they're all, because I'm a 50-year-old man and that book was written for teenagers. I am a complete sex addict, but I couldn't see how the book related to me. And then I have a 40 year old woman contact me and say, thank you. That book changed my life. I've been working on getting to the gym every morning and although I'm a female, although I'm not a teenager and although I'm not fighting a sexual addiction, I still found the connection in the ideas. And I want to say, well, those have eyes to see, we'll see. And those have ears to hear, we'll hear. And if you're not going to. So. Instead of saying, I'm going to read a book for this many minutes a day, instead of saying, I'm going to study this for that reason, I invite you to reflect upon an area of your life that could use some intellectual connection. Where, What is a part of your life where you could use some more important learning? Do you need to learn about finances? Do you need to learn about retirement plans? Do you need to learn about health insurance? Do you need to learn about how to play Monopoly? I don't know what you need to, what's important for your pays of life, but if you reflect and find something that is relevant, you can even use ether 1227. If men will come in and be, I will show them their weakness. Okay. And then start discover. All right. The neat thing about the internet nowadays, you can type any ridiculous question in there and you'll get some useful answer out of it. At least it'll give you some hints. And then plan your study time around what you're trying to connect with. I see lots of people losing motivation to study because they're not seeking any type of connection. They're just reading because they're supposed to read. They're just doing something because someone else suggested it. Well, you need to read this and you need to be aware of that. You need to study politics for this reason, whatever. Okay. Before you start that, do your reflection work and find out what do you actually need? What is actually going to give you a connection to your intellect and is going to build a bridge in your brain to something useful to your world? And if someone comes up to you and says, are you adequately educated on what's going on with the politics of something? And if your arena is not politics, you say, I have chosen to not focus my attention on that area because of other areas where I need to be well connected to accurate information. And then put that in your plan and you will find that acting upon it is even easier, okay? Same thing with physical. Reflect what is really needed with your physical life. Maybe you don't need to go to the gym more often, but you need to adjust the vitamins that you're taking. Maybe that's more relevant to your situation. Maybe you don't need to prepare for a marathon, Your doctor says if you just go for a twenty-minute walk every day, that would be adequate for your phase of life. Maybe you don't need to get down to your high school weight. Maybe you can get some more accurate information and learn how to make sure your body can just last longer, so you can give to the world longer than you than you were planning to, so you don't die as early. Maybe you need to stop drinking certain soda pops, so that your system it goes better. I, 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 by the way, just so y'all know, I'm a hypocrite in all these areas. I'm not telling you that I live in any certain way. Before you make a plan or a commitment to a physical goal, make a very do a very clear reflection on what needs to be connected with. Okay, do some discovery work. You might have to talk to a doctor. You might have to get a new physical to get a clear assessment of what your body's condition actually is, what actually needs the correct attention, and then make a plan. And now you'll be able to act upon it because all the elements are connected. Your motivation is connected to accurate information. And then the same with spiritual. Okay, Reflect what part of your spiritual world needs some attention to it. Are you, do you need to improve your ability to receive revelation? Do you need to improve your ability to live up to your revelations that you've already gotten? Do you need comfort? Are you in a phase of life where tragedies happen and difficult things are happening and your spiritual focus should be on just resting? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will get rest. Maybe your spiritual need is to do less. Maybe your spiritual need is to walk slower. Our world has such a tendency to pressure with urgency. But Christ in two circumstances where the people said, hurry, 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 the young girl's going to die. The young girl's going to die. And then someone shows up and says, never mind. It's too late. Never mind. It's too late. She's already died. He just says, it's all it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, everyone's panicking. It's fine. Even when Lazarus died, all these things, every time someone comes to you and says, We're under pressure, we're under pressure, we're under pressure, everything's going to fall apart if you don't do this one thing at a certain speed. Well, if Christ can slow down and let a little girl die before he shows up, isn't that the most? extreme example of someone who didn't rush to the aid you didn't make sure i got my homework on time you didn't make sure dinner was there on time you didn't rush to make sure the relief society lesson was ready hurry 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 okay everything we read about christ's life he was not in a hurry he took the time to connect with the people around him and connect with the activities he was doing Okay. So I invite you to go through this cycle. So I'm going to show you how to put this all together really quick. You spend some time getting familiar with your mission, your purpose, and your identity. What is my mission? What is my purpose? What is my identity? You reflect on it. You do some discovery work. You plan, you might have to do some extra work on that. Then you connect that to your roles and your goals. Who am I in this lifetime? What is my purpose? And how, what roles do I need to fulfill? What goals amongst those? Then we depar the roles and goals and create act menus. I could do this. I could do that. I could try this. I could try that. I could try this. I could try that. And then over here, these triangles represent the initiation of a plan. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. For instance, if my plan is to go to the gym tomorrow morning and that is important for my physical connection we represent this final dot here as that connection in order to go to the gym at i'm gonna have to wake up at 6 15 in order to wake up at 6 15 i'm gonna have to do this in order to get out of bed by six i'm gonna have to do this to make sure i'm rested enough i'm go. Oh, i can do this i'm gonna have to make sure my gym clothes are ready I'm going to have to make sure my snack's ready. I'm going to have to make sure my water bottle's ready, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm going to have to start working on it at 9 p.m. the night before if I'm actually going to get to the gym by 6.30 in the morning, okay? I've breezed through this really fast, but I want you to see the connection between the, the different fate. If you're going to get your behavior to match your value system, you have to connect everything in between. You have to go from your mission and purpose to your roles and goals to creating an action menu and then a plan to follow through on it. And then you can actually feel a connection from your heart, your mind, and your spirit to what you're doing every day and get stuff out of the way that is not in connected to it. So the reason we use the term opposite of addiction is connection is because the chemical scale pathway, the first video diagram we showed is when we're disconnected, The brain starts getting thirsty. The brain starts getting hungry for something and it'll eat a whole bowl of chocolate when it needs to be eating a bowl of broccoli because it just can scoop it and just panic and scoop it. And so that's why it leads to behaviors that can be classified as addictions. But let's not fight over what is or what isn't an addiction. Okay, What we're talking about is a pattern of behavior that does not match your value system. Anytime you have a pattern of behavior of you don't follow through on something that you value or you do something that contradicts your value system, this system applies to you. And if you want to serve somebody else who you see as behaving contrary to good values, the most important thing you can give them is your experience and the challenges that go with it. And they satanic battles that go with it so that when you're talking to them, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that part of the battle. I was experiencing that just yesterday. I was experiencing that last week. And they're like, wait, you were experiencing this? Yes. As I battle to live up to my value system, I'm getting more familiar with what it's like for you. There are my thoughts for today, ladies. Let's open it up to questions if you have any.
1: Maurice, thank you so much for just the things that you've prepared and the things you've been learning and sharing i I as you asked about the social you were showing the that picture of those four areas, and you gave us a minute to think about someone and that we might that we could connect with there anyway. My father-in-law came to mind. He never would have came to mind if I had taken a minute. His health is struggle a little bit and then thought about the plan and act and I'm going to be in his city today and maybe I could stop by. And, you know, anyway, I just appreciate that, that opportunity just to think I, I've heard this talked about and I've never actually tried the deep part um, or <laughs> any of that. So anyway, it was fun to walk through that a little bit. Well, just thank you so much for that message. What What we're going to do now is we'll, we'll have a time when you can either share a takeaway or if you have a a question, Maurice is happy to have any questions thrown at him. I've watched him do this over and over, but here's the, here's a, a question for you. And I know you've touched on some of these as you've gone along, but maybe you can add a little more. Understanding the importance of giving connection. How can we, how can we adjust our interactions to be, to be more in line with giving connection? I know you, you just mentioned, well, we tell them how we're trying to do it. Have you seen that happen with parents or yourself? What are, are are there some more specifics you can give there? The things we can do or say or not?
2: Well, what comes to mind first is my mother's method of being a kitchen mom with nine sons. One of her magic tricks, and and I don't know that this was her intention, but all of her nine sons are the main cooks in their families. We all are the main cooks in our families. Don't know that our wives intended for it to be that way, but my mom started with, I don't know who taught her this or how she started doing it, but she started verbalizing her actions as she would do it. Could see her turn the switch on. Because it would always start with the same phrase. Every one of us has a memory. When we're sitting around a campfire, we all know the first thing mom says when she's in the kitchen is, the first thing I'm going to do is go to the sink and wash my hands to make sure my hands are clean while I prepare the food. They're like, okay. She, she's turned the mom switch on. Okay. She still does that. She'll still do that when our kids are there, when we're there, when we're having a family party. She'll just say it out loud to no one in particular. She'll just say, I'm now going to the sink to wash my hands to make sure they're clean for when I prepare the food, okay? Then she'll do things like, oh, I'm turning the handle on the pot away from sticking out so no one will bump it and possibly knock the hot food onto the floor, okay? She'll say things like, I'm now going to chop the vegetables before I work with the meat so that the meat doesn't put any, you know, bacteria on the vegetables and the fruit. And so she'll, (laughs) it is... Almost comical how she still does that. And if any of her daughter-in-laws are in the kitchen, you'll see her go, oh, she'll sure. so try to catch up. Nope, don't, don't. You can do that if your sons are in the room because we're all used to it and we like it. And, but you don't do it when your daughter-in-laws are in the room because they think that you're trying to micromanage them or something like that. That some of them have learned, my wife has learned after 30 years what she's doing. So she just finds it adorable now. She doesn't think mom's telling her what to do. She just goes, oh, she's doing that thing, okay? So what magic my mom did with that is she wasn't like force-feeding us a teaching moment. She was just explaining what she was doing, okay? So here's a way to do this. If you're in the presence of someone that you are hoping will learn something, just talking through your own DPAR on one of the subjects, you just like you're in the car and you say, I was just reflecting on connecting with my body, with my physical, I was just reflecting on social connections for me. And they're like, and so, so I thought about this. So you ponder out loud, I thought about this person, I thought about that person, I thought about this person. It's usually confusing for other people at first. You're like, why are you putting a window into your brain for us to watch this? Okay. Then I started doing my discover work. So make sure you use the words that come from President Nielsen. Discover, plan, act, reflect. Usually you want to start with re- reflecting to start bringing the past into your mind so you can prepare for the future. And then I could do this. I, I, as I think about discovering, I could do this. I could do that. I, could, I should look that one thing up. I should find out about taking your grandfather to a art museum because he hasn't been to one forever and it's something that could be really fun. So I could do that. I could do this. All right, now I need to make a plan. I need to make a plan. Okay. Okay. I'm going to not do this one and not do that one and not do that one. And that one, let's do this one. I'm going to plan on how to do this one. I need the time of day. I need a location. Okay. And demonstrate. And now I'm going to act upon it and then I'm going to reflect on how it went. Please look for ways to demonstrate these tools in your own life before you try to pass them on to others. Okay, don't try to pass them on to others. Then the next thing you do with them is you use a positive assumption technique where you go, I assume you've been reflecting. Now, if you read carefully the handbook for parents on this new pattern for growth system, It tells you to be as hands-off as possible with respect to the details of it, but you're invited to participate in the cycle of it. Hey, son, I assume you've been reflecting upon your intellectual side of your life. Nope, not a bit. Oh, I'm sure you have been. you want to be a smarter person. You've always wanted to be smart. Well, yeah, I want to be smart, but I don't want you to know that I want to be smart. Okay. Well, I'm just curious, as you reflect upon your intellect and develop your intellect, what do you think, as you discover, would be a wise area for you to focus on? Well, I think I need to be better in my science class. Okay, you're getting an A in your science class and you're failing all of your other classes. So I'm tempted to intervene as a mother and give you wisdom you don't have. But the instructions say you're supposed to pick your own goal. So I'm going to bite my teeth and say, that sounds great. I'm fascinated. Why would you say your science class? Well, because I'm obsessed with science and I plan to change the world with science. So I don't have any intention of being good at English or spelling or anything like it. Oh, okay. Now I'm in a dilemma. Do I support my son becoming a world-changing scientist or do I tell him to go spend time dotting his eyes and crossing his T's and learning how to adjust his verb now i'm in a dilemma oh the good news is is according to the prophet you don't have to tell him to change his goals okay that sounds great what's your plan walk me through your plan i don't have a plan yet you're smart you can come up with a plan i'm fascinated with your plan do you want help with your plan no i don't want help with my plan all right i'm interested in your plan I'll. Well, I want to see what your plan is. How did it go? So if you're going to be a support person for the other person, I invite you to be curious about their four stages of their four categories. But that's about it. Okay? You can offer You see, what I've been studying with President Nielsen is his frustration with the adult generation is they have become a checklist psychology. I am happy to do it as long as someone else tells me what to do. Just tell me what you want me to do. Just tell me what the list, just give me the list and I'll do it. This goes back to our youth when we were given lists of things to do to earn our youth awards. President Nilson is very invested now in nurturing the psychological development of the process of discovering, planning, acting, reflecting, discovering, planning, acting, reflecting, which means your youth are going to be as good at it as they would be learning to play the violin, which means they're going to be a at first. Okay. Now, if your child is horrible at playing the violin, do you take it out of their hands and play it for them. Let me do this for you. Let me do this for you. No, do not take over their reflect, discover, plan, and act cycle. Do not take away from them this process. Be fascinated by it and be encouraging. And you might have to listen to a screechy violin for two years. And go, oh, your planning system is horrible. Okay? You sound terrible. This is the worst D system I've ever seen anyone have in the history of the world. Oh, wait, that's probably not very uplifting and edifying, but it's probably also true. Well, we don't get surprised when it takes six years to be really good at a violin. Why would it not take six years to get really good at doing a D part? Okay. So if you have a loved one who's working on something that's classified as an addiction Please get really familiar with how to use the DPAR, and let them practice building a connection between their value system and their behavior. Don't worry, they all want to have good behavior. Please don't let Satan trick you into believing that your son wants to be a pervert or your son wants to be over-sexualized. They don't, okay? Even teenagers have good value systems. They just haven't figured out how to live up to them yet. I hope that's helpful.
1: Thank you, Maurice. That's super helpful. Let me just ask this one question from the chat, and then we're going to go. This is probably just adds on to the question you just answered. But I'll just see if you have any other thoughts. How can I be supportive with my loved one without being overbearing as a mom? I want to flood our home with goodness but not be obnoxious.
2: One of the most important rituals you can do as a mother is to maintain your connection with Lehi's wife, Sariah, and Adam's wife. You. And do your daily grieving process of how, no matter how good you are, you still might have a cane that kills Abel and you still might have a layman or a lemuel that is abusive to Nephi and Sam. And so I encourage you to do your connection work with God so that you don't feel responsible for the way your kids are turning out. Now notice how much that is a direct contradiction to social science. Social science says you are responsible for how your kids turn out. But our spiritual science says teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves, which might include them going off the deep end. When I see mothers misbehave or behave contrary to their value system, it's because they feel an urgency to live up to society's standards for mothers as opposed to God's standards for mothers. Okay. In your personal rituals, I invite you to start separating what your father in heaven expects of you from what your culture or society. Now remember, even our culture can get it wrong. Even our culture. This is why it's so important that you know the words of the prophets personally and you're well connected to them so that if someone in your relief society says, you should be doing this as a mother and you know the prophets say differently, Okay, that you aren't suckered by a fellow church member who doesn't know their doctrine. It's really important as we serve each other that we all are familiar with the actual words of the prophets and the actual expectations. This is life eternal that they might know him and how he's different from the way your neighbor describes his expectations. He's different from the way your society describes his expectations. The key element to mothers behaving well is that they live, they don't get strained by society's expectations. President Nelson has been trying to make it very clear, living up to the gospel should decrease your stress, not increase your stress. Check last October's keynote address for more details on that. It's Sunday morning talk. Okay. So in answer to this question, the the question implies that being obnoxious is means this woman is accidentally measuring her quality based on human response. If an adolescent describes me as obnoxious, then I'm doing it wrong. Okay. You cannot use the feedback of children to tell you whether or not you're doing things right. I barely recommend you take your husband seriously because some husbands actually work to receive revelation and some don't. Some give their wives feedback out of personal frustration, not out of revelation. There's another scripture that says, thou shalt have no other gods for me. That means if you're deciding whose feedback to listen to, if you listen to your children or your husband more than you listen to God, then you're breaking that second commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No matter how much discomfort it brings your family members, it is vital that you follow your own personal revelation on how influential to strive to be. Because if we say, well, let's measure that based on what your your peers are saying, your people around you, let's do a public opinion on Ammon or Abedidi. Abinadi walks into this room. He says, I've got some information for you. Let's all take a vote on whether or not Abinadi is doing it right. The vote was, let's kill him. Let's light him on fire. Okay, so the public opinion says that Abinadi was wrong for having stood up to those people. Same thing with Christ. If we take public opinion, did Christ be the Christ correctly? Did he do his job right based on public opinion of his time? If we took a vote, obviously the majority of the people said we would rather kill Jesus than Abbas. That was their public opinion at the time. So as you decide what behaviors to execute, do not use a human's definition of being obnoxious as your measuring tool. Just get in harmony with God and do it the way he teaches you to do it. How oh, is that? Is that okay? What
1: else? Thank you, Maurice. I really appreciate that. Let's go to you and then we'll see if we can sneak in.
3: Okay. Thank you, Maurice, for your explanation of the d You've talked to us a lot. Well, you've mentioned a lot when you've come, the d So it's been nice to have it broken down quite a bit and actually see at, see how it should work or how it should work in our lives. And my question I want to ask, I'm seeing a connection to what you a response that you just shared, but I, I still want to ask the question. You you mentioned earlier that you said you cannot measure your success to a loved one by their response. And I think sometimes as moms, women, we get hung up on that a lot. You know, sometimes we could be, I think that the enemy can torment us by a person not responding a certain way. That we think maybe we should especially if we were enlightened to do something good so what's something that what's some tips that you could help us to overcome those maybe those tormenting feelings or i don't even know what to ask that. sure Yell, yeah I, I know what
2: you're i know what you're yeah i know what you're asking so this is agonizing i do have some recommendations for that and we can learn some more from christ if you pay close attention to the new testament this year I invite you to really look at Christ's lifestyle, although they give us very, very little information about his lifestyle. If you've watched some of the Chosen videos, they do a decent job of of hinting at his lifestyle. Now, let me explain what I mean by that in particular. As you get into season two of the, the Chosen series, you'll start to see the disciples start to get in these little arguments. They get in these little confrontations. And it's almost always when Christ is gone somewhere. They refer to him. He's going for another one of his walks. He's going out there doing something. I don't know. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know where he's at. I don't know what he's doing. Okay. This is a really important thing to look at in Christ's life. He spent a lot of time away from the people. Somehow our culture has turned into one where the mother needs to be present 24-7. She needs to be where the kids can use her from the time she wakes up until the time she goes to bed. And I don't read anything in any conference talk ever that says a mother is supposed to be at her children's service or her husband's service from the time she wakes up until the time she goes to bed. There's nothing in there, but it has become a cultural norm of expectation. I need to be there for them. I need to be there for them. Well, don't you think that if Christ wanted to maximize his impact on the people, that he would be there for them all the time? He only had three years to influence you know how fast three years goes by how are you supposed to give enough influence if you're gone half of the time or more we don't know exactly how much of the time he was gone my theory is he was gone for possibly as much as 28 days a month he was gone reconnecting with god and reconnecting with his values i am confident that at least Three fourths of his time, one fourth of his time was being away from people, reflecting on his mission, purpose, and identity. One fourth of his time was spent discovering, and pondering, and thinking of ways that he could come up with another parable. I I, I find it interesting that in this in the the, the these chosen videos that it shows him working on his Sermon on the Mount with Matthew, he's working on his speech, and he's working on it and working on and working on it. it. It is often implied that he just showed up and started talking and just, nope, yeah, I'm just taking this off the cuff. I'm just gonna fling it out there, just some thoughts that I just randomly was having. But we have reason to believe that he did a lot of discovery work on his parables, on his metaphors, on the way he would teach. On his style, on his methods, and then he would make a plan, and his plan was often confusing to the to the fellows. I don't know if the actual story of when he had the the, the guys till the farm and play, prepare this farmland for a guy who was a sinner, who for a guy who was the one who attacked the the Samaritan or attacked the, per, the person on their journey and left them stranded, and he's all, yeah, we're here to serve you. That's part of my plan. And so none of his three things, his reflection work, his discover work, or his planning work made sense even to his disciples. For some reason, we think that our behavior needs to make sense to our husbands, needs to make sense to our kids, needs to be explainable to our neighbors and our sisters and our mothers. Well, if I can't explain it to them, then they're going to judge me. Welcome to being like Jesus. You're going to be judged for the weird things you do. So, what Christ would do, I'm confident, with his psychology is he would prepare his psychological momentum on his actions and his plans so that when he entered the space, he knew it was going to cause a ripple. He knew it was going to cause confusion. He knew people would be either fascinated or ang- angered by it. And he finished his work, and then he walked away. He didn't ask, well, how do you feel I did there? This is a very scary thing that's in our popular culture. We actually have, I've had some mom tell me about the feedback sessions they have with their kids, where their kids are giving them feedback. I'm all, are you insane? What makes you think an adolescent is qualified to give you feedback on on your parenting? No. Does Christ ever ask mortals for feedback? Did he ever say, what do you think? How was my presentation? Did you like it? Okay, did I do okay there? Would you have me change anything? He doesn't ask anyone for feedback. Now, those of you who are dealing with marital issues, okay, I invite you to try this out. This is, pulls off absolute miracles. Do your DPAR par work, okay? Do your reflection work. Do your discovery work. Do your planning work and act upon it instead of giving your spouse feedback, okay? Now imagine that a spouse does the same thing. They do reflection, they do discovering, they do planning. And every time you talk, you talk about what you're working on to become a better person, and he talks about what he's working on to become a better person. Instead of talking about what the other person needs to be doing, just talk about what you're doing to become a better person. I promise you, if you enter someone's space who has a tendency to give you feedback and the only thing you ever talk about with them is what you're working on to become a better person, they're going to decrease how often they point out what you're doing wrong. Now, you can always do this fun exercise. If they start giving you, get a notebook out and write down vigorously what they say. Okay, I should fix this, I should fix this, I should fix this, I should fix just write it all down. And when you're done, say, if you don't mind, would you be okay with me running this list past God for him to tell me in what order to work on your feedback? Would you mind if I involve him in the process of, of what I should be working on? Now, first of all, if they have any spirituality, they, they're going to be tempted to say, no, I don't want you to, to review with God. I, I already gave you the priority. But they're smart enough to say, yeah. Sure, and then here's the scary one to follow up with. Now, if he tells me to wait on this list for a year, like if he says that's a really good list, let's work on that next year. Are you going to be okay with me not working your list for me for a year? Their first response is going to be, "No, I'm not okay." Now, if God tells me to wait a year, well, I don't believe God would tell you to wait a year. Do you know? The God I work with, do you not trust my ability to get personal revelation? Now, here's the scary part. That feels very relieving to create that kind of boundary yourself. But does he not have a right to the same process? I invite you, if you have a list of things your spouse does wrong, write them all down. You can do it one of two ways. Take the list to your husband and say, would you please review these with God to see when you should work on them? Or you can take your list of your husband's flaws directly to God and say, I need you to adjust your system for my husband. Whatever you guys got going on isn't working so good. So I've given you some better priorities for his development. So thank you for thinking of my husband's needs, but I'm actually better at that than you are. So here's a list of what my husband actually needs to work on. So I'll let you guys work on that. So can you see why I don't support feedback sessions between husbands and wives? They aren't a good idea. I kind of went off on a tangent there. Is that helpful? Oh, I'm over time now. Sorry, BJ.
1: It's all great. It's all great. I was we supposed to watch the just clock.
2: A I apologize.
1: I need a bit of sarcasm, and <laughs> which is something I love about the way, Maurice.
2: Just, just, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Love you, ladies. Sorry for going over time. I'm going to get out of your scene now. See you next time. Bye-bye.
1: Bye, Maurice. Thank you. Okay, we were going to let Maurice share a final thought, but when he waves and goes off, then he waves and goes off, so... We did have a few other questions, gals that were in the chat, either privately or or with everyone. And just want you to know, good news, Maurice comes to visit one of our Mothers Who Know groups called Warrior Mothers Who Know. And we meet it. He comes the first Tuesday of each month at 11 o'clock Mountain Time to that group. So thank you all for joining us for this series. Appreciate you being with us today.
0: Thank you for being with us today, Warrior Moms. I invite you to make a donation at the top of our website, motherswhoknow.org. Any amount you can afford today will help us keep Mothers Who Know services free for all moms. Thank you so much for your generosity. Moms, remember your divine identity and great worth. Continue in your courageous efforts to support God's great work. Notice the miracles you see every day, the evidence of the Savior's love and mercy. Find a message in your message. Reach out and share the principles you learn in Mothers You Know with other mothers. You are God's secret weapon for good in this world. Finally, a few pieces of information for you. I recommend a few other podcast channels to listen to. Like Dragons Do They Fight podcast, that includes interviews and stories with those that have struggled and overcome something in their life. And the eternal warriors podcast hosted by two ysa young men who share their story teach valuable lessons and interview special guests you can follow us on our social media pages on facebook under mothers or search for mothers you know and on instagram username at mothers underscore who know last if you would like additional support and training Please go to mompowertraining.com to sign up for the next eight-week Mom Power training class for all moms. You can also go to the Mothers Who Know website at motherswhoknow.org or our parent company, Life Changing Services at lifechangingservices.org to learn more about our excellent services to support you and your loved ones. Thank you so much for listening today. Please feel free to email me anytime with questions or to set up a complimentary 30-minute appointment to visit please email me at mothersyouknow at Looking forward to hearing from you amazing moms. See you next time.